On this episode of Twill, the KDE community have announced the release date for the Plasma 6 desktop. The Raspberry Pi Foundation has announced that they are starting to hit the roads with Raspberry Pi 5s. The Ubuntu Summit is next week, and I'll be there, so this week I'll let you know what I have planned to do while I'm there. Plus, we have a ton of software updates to check out from EOS to the Lutris Gaming Tool. All of this and so much more on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. The KDE community have announced the official release date for the next major version of the KDE Plasma desktop. So Plasma 6 will be released on February 28th, 2024. And this is good because they were thinking about doing it for February 29th, but I'm glad they decided not to do that because that would mean we'd have to wait four years to celebrate the birthday every time. So this is a much better choice in my opinion. They also talked about some new stuff coming in Plasma 6 alongside the announcement of the date. So first of all, the F10 key will now be able to launch hamburger menus and applications, which is pretty cool. I'm not sure if F10 is the right key for that, but I do think it's a really cool idea to have this because let's face it, the hamburger menu system is everywhere now. And for those who don't know what that means, it's the button that has the three horizontal lines that basically application developers are now putting everything into. So that's good to have that. Also, they've added speech synthesis support for Kate, KWrite, and KText Editor. And they've also added some color blindness features for KWin. And there's also another feature that I happened to ask about right when they committed it, which is the screen mirroring effect for Wayland. So if you're using the Wayland version of KDE Plasma, you could do screen mirroring. And for those who don't know what I mean, it's not actually like copy of one screen to another screen. It's doing a reversing of the screen. So effectively like a horizontal flipping of the screen that you're looking at. You might be thinking, why would anyone want to look at their screen backwards? And that's a great question. And I was even asked that question by some people in the KD community when I was asking for this feature, which just so happened to be added by another developer a few days before I asked, which is really nice. Uh, but the reason I wanted it is because for those who don't know, I use a teleprompter to make this show and other content because teleprompters are very helpful. Now, I'm not using the teleprompter at the moment as I'm describing what I'm doing. I'm just using it for references to remind me of what I need to talk about. Because, for example, we're going to talk about KDE Plasma 5.27.9 because there's a bunch of cool stuff that they announced for that release. And there's no way I'm going to remember that, plus every other detail about every other topic that I'm going to cover in this episode. So that's why I wanted the flipping of the screen. Now, as for Plasma 5.27.9, the Orca Reader now supports Alt-Tab on Waylon. There's now better support for GNOME apps as flat packs, and there's also a fix for account switching when people are using passwordless accounts, and there's also a fix to window buttons on cute, quick dialogues for X11, and much, much more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest version of KDE Plasma 5.27.9, or the new stuff that's coming in Plasma 6, you'll find links in the show notes. The Raspberry Pi Foundation have announced that the Raspberry Pi 5s are beginning to ship, which is great because it means that the production was faster than expected, and that is always good to hear. And also the priority boarding orders are now getting shipments by the end of the week, 
And every approved reseller will also get stock of the eight, four gigabyte and eight gigabyte by the end of the week. And this is awesome. Now, I don't have to worry about my shipment because I already got it. Check this out. Isn't that awesome? So this is the Raspberry Pi 5, and I have been playing with it for a couple weeks now, and it is very good. It is much more powerful than I was expecting. Even though they said it was twice as powerful as the 4, I still was kind of impressed by how powerful it is anyway when already knowing that. So this is really cool, and there's a lot of cool stuff they've been working on, such as the Raspberry Pi Imager that has now been updated to 1.8.1, and this allows you to pick your device in order to filter out images that are for a different Pi model. It also has an option for customizations of the ad hidden advanced section, so you can qu quickly go to Control-Shift-X to get access to that stuff. It lets you set a preset host name, username and password, a Wi-Fi network and set up SSH and a lot more than that. And there's just a lot of really cool stuff. And I can say that the Raspberry Pi is very cool. Obviously, if you're watching this show, you know that. The Raspberry Pi 5 does not disappoint. And I will be doing a full review video on this because, well, it's awesome and I want to talk about it. So be sure to subscribe if you'd like to learn more about the Raspberry Pi 5. Or in the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about it, you can check the links in the show notes. The Ubuntu Summit is happening next week, and I will be attending the conference. In fact, I'll be doing a lot of stuff at the summit. This year's Ubuntu Summit is taking place in Riga, Latvia. I will be giving a talk while I'm there about marketing in open source. So if you're curious about that and you're going to be in the area, be sure to check it out. If you're not going to be in the area, you can also watch it live on European Times and there will be probably a recording later that you can watch if you are not able, not able to get it to it live. Plus, I will be moderating a panel for an AMA with the Ubuntu Community Council, and I plan to do some other stuff while I'm there. I might even try to record an episode of Twill while I'm there. We'll see about that one. I also might try to record it a little bit earlier than usual, so that might happen too. But in addition to all of that, I'm also planning to do a daily vlog during the conference. And I know that sounds like a crazy thing to do. And you're right, it is a crazy thing to do because <laughs> I'm trying to do a daily vlog while I'm also having a talk and also moderating a, a panel and other stuff that I plan to do. So there, in interviews, there, there's gonna be so many things that I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be constantly moving. I will have to have a ton of batteries and chargers in order to have everything working. So it's going to be a fun experience. And I hope you go along with the ride for, with me with the daily vlogs, for example. But if you can only watch one thing, I suggest all of it, all of it. If you have to learn more about the Ubuntu Summit, you'll find links in the show notes. Last month, it was announced that support and maintenance for LTS kernels would go from six years to two years. On the previous episode of Twill where we covered this, I mentioned this will likely not affect any of the enterprise distros that offer long-term support for their maintenance, such as Ubuntu LTS. Canonical confirmed this week that the five-year support for LTS will continue, and for those using Ubuntu Pro, they will be able to get an additional five years for up to 10 years of support. So, I was right, and I just wanted to tell you that. If you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. 
Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and LinStore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Linbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. LinBit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from LinBit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. The E Foundation and Marina have recently announced that the EOS or slash E slash OS now supports Android 13 base with support for 33 devices and more in the works. Android 13 base brings a lot of new features that are from the Android system. If you'd like to learn more about that, you can find links in the show notes. And it also supports 33 devices already, but there's plans for more devices to be added. Now, it also supports older devices, including the Pixel 2, which was released in 2017. Now, this is good because Google only supported the Pixel 2 up to Android 11. So anybody who'd want to continue to use that device and get updates, they can check out EOS and still have support which is really awesome to see because it helps keep these devices out of the landfills because smartphones are just rampant with that problem and Google and Apple don't seem to care. And well, I guess pretty much most of the manufacturers don't care, but there is one that we're going to talk about later in this topic that does, and I'm very happy about that. But let's talk about the e, the slash E slash OS for those who are unfamiliar with it. It is a de-Googled Android-based OS that is designed to try and make privacy as easy as possible for your average phone user. It does this by having a very iOS-like user experience. The Micro-G system is also there to replace Google services, a custom app store that allows downloading of Google Play and F-Droid apps without giving data to Google, and this app store also gives your apps a privacy score to help you keep, keep you informed about what kind of privacy you're getting with these. And it has a cloud ecosystem built around it from Marina, which provides email and calendar and cloud storage and a lot of cool stuff. Now, there's another thing that I wanted to talk about, and that is the deal with Marina and Fairphone. That's what I was talking about with the phone that seems to care, which is the Fairphone. You can get a Fairphone 4 with EOS right now from Marina, and you can also pre-order the Fairphone 5 with EOS by default with Marina. And the kicker here is that you can get these without EOS if you want to, but if you are someone in, based in the US, it's a very hard thing to get the Fairphone. But thanks to Marina, we actually have that option now, which is really awesome. So if you'd like to learn more about Marina, the EU Foundation, slash E, slash OS, the Fairphone, or anything else, you'll find links in the show notes. 
Lutris 0.5.14 has been released, and with it are a lot of cool updates and features. For those unfamiliar with Lutris, Lutris helps you run games from things like EA App Store, Steam, GOG, itch.io, Epic Games, Humble Store, emulators, and so much more. It's pretty dope, actually. So if you haven't ever heard of it and you haven't checked it out before and you were into gaming, you might want to check out Lutris. Link in the show notes, of course. Now, what's new in 0.5.14? They added a Steam account switcher to handle multiple Steam accounts on the same device, ability to add custom tags and categories to games, download appropriate DXVK and VKD3D versions based on the available GPU PCI IDs, also added support for EA app integration, add integration with ScumVM local library, experimental support for Flatpak provided runners, support for GameScope 3.12, and much more. These There's a lot of cool stuff right here. The EA app, for example, the Flatpak runners, there's a lot of cool possibilities with that, and just so much more. But I want to take a quick moment and do uh, something that's kind of a, a tradition on this show. When a long-running project that has seen years of development offers great value to the community, but still has a version of 0. Point something, I think it's time for a 1.0 release. Just wanted to put that out there. If you'd like to learn more about Lutris and check it out for yourself, which I highly recommend, you can find links in the show notes. Mozilla has announced the latest version of Firefox with Firefox 119. This is a relatively minor update, but there are some cool additions to talk about, especially on the privacy front. First of all, let's talk about the Firefox view. The Firefox view is a little bit more useful because it now lists tabs from recent browsing sessions, which may make it easier to resume work after a crash or a reboot. Also, you can now add images to PDFs as well as edit the image alt text directly inside of Firefox, which is pretty cool. Now, for those who are currently using Chrome and would like to switch to Firefox because of a lot of cool reasons to do so, which you can find linked in the show notes because I happen to prefer Firefox and I've provided seven reasons why I do in a video as well as two videos specifically about number one and number two reasons about why it's awesome. So I'll have all of that linked in the show notes and in the description and maybe in the cards. Who knows? We'll see. But for those switching from Chrome, you now can import your Chrome extensions, but there is a little bit of a catch that it requires these extensions to be in the Firefox add-on store alongside the Chrome web store. So if there's a feature that is a part of both of those, you can switch and it will kind of like detect it and provide it for you. So that's really awesome. And it would be cool if there didn't require it to be in the the add-on store, but it makes sense that it does. Now let's talk about the privacy features. The biggest improvement is Encrypted Client Hello, which is a TLS extension that improves your privacy by encrypting the site URL, which can prevent network snooping by your ISP. Also, the total cookie protection blob URL is now being partitioned to add some more security and privacy. And also there's been other improvements for security and privacy for the storage access API as well as the strict privacy mode now prevents font fingerprinting. And there's just a lot more when it comes to the privacy features of Firefox. These are just a few things for this version. There's a lot of cool things that they offer in Firefox. So check it out. Links in the show notes for more information about the latest version, as well as all the videos I mentioned that I made because I made a lot. <laughs> Link in the show notes. 
Maybe you need a text editor. We don't have that many options for text editors on Linux, and that's a shame. I'm kidding, there's a ton of them. But there's another one that I want to tell you about, which is Micro. Micro is a modern and intuitive terminal-based text editor. And the reason why I wanna talk about it is, first, I guess we should talk about the new features in the latest version, like they introduced new reload option to control file reloading behavior when files are updated externally, and they've also done some bug fixes, but that's not really the reason I wanted to talk about it. Micro is a very, very cool text editor. It has a lot of cool features, such as it's super customizable. It has the ability to use multiple cursors, very important to me, also has a plugin system. It has mouse support, which is not always the case when it comes to terminal applications. It has a lot of cool uh, common key bindings that you might expect from other editors. And here's the thing that I like the most. It's basically like having Sublime Text in a terminal. One of the biggest reasons people don't like Sublime Text that I've heard is that you can't use it in a terminal. But Micro gives you the feature of being able to use basically something like Sublime Text in a terminal. So. There you go. Solution provided. You'll find links in the show notes if you'd like to check out Micro for yourself. Speaking of text editors, maybe you don't want to use the terminal. Then Genie might be something for you to check out because the Genie team recently celebrated their 18th birthday of this open source text editor. And part of that celebration is the release of Genie 2.0. Genie 2.0 restructures how the session data is handled. It also, the project creation from existing directories with sources has now been simplified. And they've also added a new theme for people who are using it on Windows. If you're one of the unfortunate people having to use Windows, at least you have a nice looking theme with it. So that's good. They've also updated the symbol parsers and much, much more. If you'd like to learn more about Genie or check out Genie 2.0, you'll find links in the show notes. We have a couple of OpenSUSE related things to talk about this week. First up, OpenSUSE Leap Micro 5.5 is now available as the latest community version of SUSE Linux Enterprise Micro. OpenSUSE Leap Micro 5.5 is a great option for anyone looking for a lightweight Linux OS, especially for usage with virtual machines and containers. Leap Micro 5.5 features improvements to their SE Linux implementation. They've added Podman, Docker, and Hyper-V support on the ARC64 architecture. They've upgraded some packages like Podman to 4.4 and Cockpit to 298. And Leap Micro 5.5 also now uses Network Manager as the default network management stack. And also it now has user space live patching as of availability with a technology preview status. Also, OpenSUSE has announced recently a new logo competition that they are running to create a new OpenSUSE logo as well as four other logos for the OpenSUSE distributions such as Tumbleweed, Leap, Slow Roll, and Kalpa. The competition starts on November 1st and the deadline is November 22nd. The winners will receive a Geeko Mystery Box, whatever that is, as a reward for their creative designs. For those interested in participating, you'll find the rules of the contest and much more in the links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com membership 
where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to the patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm wearing right now at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff that we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, and so much more at tuxdigital.com store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux GNU's. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell. I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring the notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell.